college sports fans. Uh, my name is Spencer Kelly. I'm a, a lawyer in Portland, Oregon, practicing in a number of different areas, but one of those areas is college sports law. Uh, I've got about 11 years of experience, and, uh, and, and I'll introduce my co-speaker here, Aaron Price. Yeah, I'm Aaron Price. I have about eight years of athletic compliance experience working at two Pac-12 institutions in athletic compliance. I also have just under two years experience as an attorney here in Oregon. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to have some fun. Yeah. So the idea behind this podcast was that uh, Aaron has a lot of experience in, in college sports and knows the rules. Uh, I've got some experience with the law and and know the know the law and how to how to apply it. And our idea was we we feel like there's a lot of people out there who may not know a lot about college compliance and why these schools are going to get uh, get penalized for issues that that come up. Uh, so what we're going to do is every week we're going to talk about what happened over the last week in college sports and specifically in compliance issues, what rules were violated, uh, what the penalty was, and we're going to be talking about uh, kind of we're going to be giving explanations on rules and what the rules are and how to apply them to a certain to college athletes. Uh, and then we're going to do some interviews, right, Aaron? Absolutely. We're going to have some callers uh, call in at some point that are active people out in the uh, working at the NCA or member schools or have experience and can give some helpful insights to us. That sounds great. And then the last thing we're going to do, we're always going to leave it open in the end. If there are any questions that anybody has, you can email us at college sports attorneys at gmail.com and we'll give that e we'll give that uh, email out again later and it'll be on the website as well uh, but you can email us any questions and we'll answer any questions that are sent to us so our plan is to do it have a, about a half hour to 45 minute show uh, we're really excited we hope people like it and 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 can learn some things about college sports well spence let's get to it let's do it All right, so uh, the first section always is going to be what happened this week in college sports. Yeah. So, Aaron, as we've been talking about this, is, and this has been coming for a while now, uh, about a month ago, right, California put in what's called the Fair Pay-to-Play Act, Yeah. which is a, a statute that uh, applies to college sports, specifically in college athletes, that indicates that, and this was in California, that indicates that colleges can no longer ban uh, athletes from benefiting or making money off their name, likeness, and image. And also on top of that, the act also, also authorizes college sports uh, athletes to be able to hire agents to go out and benefit from their name, likeness, and image. So I guess my first question for you, Aaron, is what was the rule with name like a synonymage, could could college athletes before last week uh, make money off their name like a synonymage? Can you kind of give us an explanation? Yeah. So this is sort of this comes to sort of the crux of amateur athletics uh, in college sports. Um, name, image, and likeness, or NIL, NIL, uh, is a big deal, and basically it's sort of the idea that a uh, college student athlete can't use their name it or their their name or their image or their likeness to profit uh, they can't you know for example how would this work um, that's been the rule for a long time and this is really central to a lot of amateurism rules 
right now in college athletics. So for example, let's say you have a student athlete. I'll just use, um, uh, let's say Sam Darnold when he was at USC. Um, you know, they couldn't, a local car dealership couldn't say, Hey, Sam Darnold is here today. He's going to be throwing a football around, come buy a car from our dealership. And, 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 uh, Sam Darnold thinks these are the best cars, uh, known to man. Sam Darnold loves these footballs. He throws them and he, he endorses these footballs. A lot of companies would like to use his name or maybe just his picture, his image, or his likeness in some way to profit, or student athletes would like to do it themselves. And that would render somebody ineligible. Um, basically, under today's rules, they wouldn't be able to compete. They're ineligible. They've, they've rendered themselves a professional, essentially. And it's really significant, depending on how serious you, you've, you've uh, overstepped the boundary. In your experience as a compliance officer for eight years, did you ever have occasion where a student athlete was trying to benefit off their name, like an image, maybe even inadvertently, uh, and they got dinged. Did that ever happen? Absolutely. Here's what happens usually. Uh, social media is the devil, basically, at this point. Social media is how a lot of violations are discovered, and it's also where people get in trouble. For, for example, let's say you have football player A. I won't use any names, of course, just to protect people, but let's say you have football player A. And he has a friend that has a T-shirt company. So, and let's say football player A is a really high-profile athlete, plays on Saturdays. He's a starter. Everybody knows his name at the school. He's a, basically a celebrity at the school. Plays on national TV. People that follow college football are going to know who this person is. It's a big deal. This guy has uh, a name amongst college athletics. So the friend says, Hey, football player A, my close friend, will you give a shout out to my t-shirt company on your Twitter or your Instagram or your Facebook and just say you endorse these products, you'll wear these products, they're good products, and you recommend people buy them. You're going to drive a lot of traffic. You're a social media influencer. People are going to come to my site and check it out. It's going to help me from a business perspective. And I'd really appreciate it. Well, in that situation, the football player A doesn't get anything from it. But a business, he's allowing a business to use his either name, image, or likeness to promote a product. So, so what happens, football player A retweets and says, I recommend these t-shirts, go out and buy them. Problem, right? Now you're calling people to take action to make a purchase. And so people go to the sites, hey, you know, football player A said these shirts are cool. I'm going to go check it out. And they're going to go try to buy some t-shirts. It helps out that business. They are a business. It doesn't matter that they're friends. That's not enough. You're using your name, image, or likeness to either profit or or um, to drive business, basically, for another company. And it doesn't even necessarily matter, right, that the student athlete, with the old rule, that the student athlete may not even be paid for their endorsement. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, and and that's the thing, you know, and, and that's what the tough part about this really was is because you think, well, gosh, if they're not really making any profit, but, but the problem is they sort of are in some ways, right? I mean, they're either, uh, bartering services, they're trading services, they're using the image of image likeness to drive profit for somebody else. Uh, the NCAA just didn't want any part of that. That's professionalizing your name, image, or likeness. You're not an amateur. You shouldn't be involved in anything that has to do with driving profit for anybody or yourself, right? If Sam Darnold said, Hey, come, uh, come buy my, Footballs for twenty dollars. I'll, I'll autograph them and I'll endorse their brand uh, by Sam Darnold. Come and buy them from me. And, and 
the debate is, well, why couldn't that person do that, right? But under the NCAA rules, you can't. You're professionalizing yourself, and it was a big problem. And so people would be deemed ineligible, and we'd have to get them reinstated with the NCAA depending on how severe their violation was. If it was a one-time thing, one-off thing on social media, that might be different. If it was intentional and it was a big big business, um, that was different. For example, uh, how about we're going to go – how about Lonzo Ball and the Big Baller brand, right? Well – his family owned a business. Could Lonzo Ball be there promoting a t-shirt brand that says buy Big Baller brand? Or wearing their shoes while playing for UCLA. Yeah, wearing their shoes, that sort of thing. And 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 now, you know, there's there's some exceptions to some of that because kids wear Nike shoes, but you know, are they given shoes by the by the school? Right. The school endorses the that particular brand. Yeah. It's different than yes. the athlete benefiting. Exactly. The, the, the benefit, the kids aren't getting a benefit from Nike. They're not getting a kickback. They get swag, but the NCAA has carved out that rule to allow them to get swag to practice and compete in. Um, but they yeah, can't then turn around and sell that swag, right? That's, yeah, that's a whole nother topic. That's a whole nother topic. Although it, it it connects to this topic really well, because a lot of things are done. You know, you'll see something on eBay or YouTube or something like. You know, usually eBay if it's for sale, and it'll be connected to someone's name. Hey buy Sam Darnold's game-worn jersey, right? Now, if, if Sam Darnold had nothing to do with that, that happened a lot, and not with that situation. I just mean with student-athletes where somebody else is trying to use their name, image, or likeness without their permission or consent. What we would do is we'd send, uh, as compliance offices, a basically a cease and desist letter. and says, take everything down. We haven't permitted you to do that, and do it immediately. Now, if they don't cooperate, there's maybe other things we could do. But the, in the NCAA, NCAA's eyes, we've done about all we can do, and that was okay. We could get the kid eligible. Now, if the kid greenlit it and said that was fine and allowed it to happen, we have problems. Um, so it's not only just them um, profiting but allowing somebody else to profit. Oftentimes, parents would get involved, try to use uh, – bottom line, their status, their celebrity status as a student-athlete cannot be used in any way um, to, for name, image, or likeness purposes to profit, to barter, to trade, to get goodwill from somebody uh, in any manner. And that's It's a pretty strict rule, and it goes to the heart of amateurism. And that even applies, right, if, um, if we had an experience where we had, we were called by a, a, by a, a you know, a lower, a third, uh, a third level NCAA football school quarterback that was trying to set up a YouTube channel to explain people how to to tell people how to play quarterback, but to be a better quarterback, right? To yeah. Throw the ball to, to high, you know, those types of things. And, and the instruction was you couldn't even do that. right? Yeah. Yeah. There was bottom line is, I mean, you can't set up your own business. So there's a couple of small carve outs out there. If you're doing something that's for a class and it's on the syllabus and it says you need to go out and create a marketing video and everybody in the class is doing it and it's required for your grade and you're following the exact parameters of what that class requires. You can work with the compliance office. The NCAA doesn't want to stop that sort of thing. I mean, you're just going through your class. But if you're off, if you're really trying to set up your own business, set up your own uh, name, I mean, there's certain ways you could do it. I mean, in theory, if you called yourself um, Big Baller X and you're picture was never used, your name was never used, your likeness was never used. No one ever knew you were behind the scenes doing that. And some theories you could you could do that because you're not using your name, image, or likeness. But that usually is not what the student athletes wanted to do. It didn't work that way because the, what helped them was their name, image, and likeness as a celebrity. That'd be like saying a celebrity can't use their name, their picture, or anything about them to sell a product. It's really not helpful. If you're going to use LeBron James to hawk Sprite, 
you can't use Le- LeBron James's name or his photo or any his signature, anything at all. It's not that helpful having LeBron James involved. It's a, kind of the same idea. But that doesn't apply to your regular student, right? So if, if you're Tommy Tommy James or whatever, and you're going, you're a student at Portland State University, yeah, and you're in the engineering department, and you come up with some patent, yeah, you can benefit from that, even yeah. even though you're you're still a student at Portland State. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that was part of the reason why California thought that what was going on with the athletes was unfair to yeah to apply that more stricter rule to the athletes. Yeah, and, and that, that argument comes up a lot. And when student athletes would learn about this rule as freshmen, when we would educate them, that's one of the first things they would always say. This isn't fair because Billy, my brother, who's a, a marketing major and is not a student athlete at all, he can start his own. YouTube channel. He can do this and that. Why are you restricting us? And the argument has been that, well, different venues have different rules. Us as, as lawyers, for example, uh, we're bound by the rules that the, the bar holds for this for ethics and different things, advertising. So if I have a cousin who's a plumber, maybe he can do whatever advertising he wants and there are no rules. Or we are, we're going to have some specific rules with our advertising that we have to follow. And, and then we could say, well, that's not fair. You know, Billy the plumber doesn't have to do that. And that's, that's true. But, but student athletes are held to different standards. And then you don't have to be a student athlete. You could quit being a student athlete and go being a regular, a regular student and, and then do whatever you want. But if you want to wear a jersey for your school and be an amateur athlete, there's different rules that apply to you. Um, you know, for example, also marijuana is legal in some states for certain ages. Um, it's, it's banned by the NCA. Um, so even though something is legal, doesn't mean the NCA allows it just because something is allowed for other students doesn't mean student athletes can do it. And that's kind of been, uh, the comeback from the NCA. And the, this, um, this rule, this fair play, fair paid to play act, um, it specifically says that the act does not create a right for college athletes to be paid by their schools, but they could go out and get endorsements. Um, and so that's, that's what, that's what California. So can you differentiate that for us? Like, what does that mean as far as for the athlete in California? Yeah. To go get endorsements. Um, you know, and, and again, nobody quite knows how this will shake out or what they mean exactly. Cause it's a proposal right now, but the gist is, you know, what they're trying to get away from is obviously the school can't pay. Um, that's going to be just straight up professionalism going to school. And then also it's going to create potentially these athletes being employees. And that can cause a whole host of problems uh, to have these out there. And then what about injuries? You're gonna have, or is workers' compensation going to be involved? If you have injured employees, um, uh, what are the tax implications of their scholarship? There's so many different things. Endorsements is one thing. Endor- a true endorsement would be like, you know, for example, let's say you have Sam Darnold. I'll just keep using him as an, as an example because he's not a current student athlete. It's, it's easier to do um, just to play it safe. But, you know, let's say when or he was – we could a, use Tom Brady. Or Tom Brady, exactly. You know, we could use Tom Brady. That guy's not going to get any scholarships or, or endorsements from anybody. But uh, I'm kidding. He, he really would. He probably has a lot. But here's the thing. Let's say Sam Darnold uh, is a junior at USC's quarterback, and Gatorade reaches out and says, we would love to give you uh, a Gatorade commercial. Um, maybe you'd wear some of the gear or one of the towels. Maybe not. So I don't know all the nuances of that, but some sort of endorsement deal that's truly external from the school. The school didn't arrange it. A booster didn't arrange it. Uh, it's, it's a real endorsement deal to use your name, image, or likeness because we think you can help sell Gatorade and in, in turn, we'll give you some money to do it. 
And, and that's a true endorsement deal. And I think that's what this proposal is trying to get at. Right. But then, so, so then the question becomes, how does this endorse, how does this new rule potentially, how does this affect, you know, the haves and have nots of college sports, right? So you have the big schools of USC, UCLA, all these big Pac-12 schools versus an athlete who's maybe going to Cal State Northridge or some other school. So how, how it seems unfair from a outsider's perspective that a that the the player at the bigger school that more more of the star athletes are going to want to go to the bigger schools because that gives the bigger school or that gives the athlete more of a venue and it also gives the bigger school more of an opportunity to get more players. Yeah, and and there's always been sort of a haves and have-nots in in college athletics. It's really tough to get away from all of that, but you know, there's a concern in a couple of different levels with this. Um, not just the the bigger, more powerful schools, but maybe the bigger markets, right? The the Los Angeles is going to have a lot more endorsement opportunities than maybe somebody that's at Oregon State or Arizona, just given the the nature of the media market and the businesses that are around. Businesses may want to check in on the student athlete, watch them practice. It might be a perk for some of their executives to go over to a game, that sort of thing. So there's going to be that advantage. Um, you know, but I think the bigger problem here and the bigger iceberg that that Congress isn't considering, Mitt Romney, some of these people that are really pushing for this, they're seeing it as just a positive for student athletes. And I get that. Like, hey, this isn't fair. These athletes bring a lot of money to the school. They play on national TV. They generate a lot of money. They should be sharing in it. And I think a lot of people actually agree with that. I think including the NCAA. But here, here there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, the problem really is, if you think about it, what is to stop a rich booster that's in the area from manufacturing endorsements and saying, hey, I'm a billion-dollar booster. Uh, let's take Oregon, for example. I'm not accusing Oregon of anything. I'm just saying you know, they're in our backyard and, and Nike's there and some big Nike exec says, you know what? Yeah, we want every incoming football player to do endorsement deals for Nike. We're going to put them in a couple commercials and we're going to do a couple things and we're going to pay all of them $150,000 each. Well, let's say nobody else in the Pac-12 has a major booster like that to do that. Now, Oregon's suddenly going to get all of the best recruits in the Pac-12 immediately. And they're buying them. And that's what's happening. And is that really what we want college athletics to be? Do we want it to just be who the richest school is or who the biggest boosters are? Because you know that's going to happen. Boosters and, and the recruiting is a big deal in college athletics. And to trust that it's simply all going to be on the up and up um, is, is a tough thing. And they're gonna have, we're going to have to have parameters in place to monitor this and make sure it's not being gimmicked for recruiting purposes. Yeah, and then also, how how does this how does this rule apply if you're applying Title IX? Right. Well, yeah, because and, Title IX says you know you've got to have there's got to be equality both for the male and the female, so you have to have the same amount of scholarships, right? Uh, and I know that's another topic to get into Title IX, but yeah, it, but are you going to have to apply the same? rights for i mean obviously they're gonna have the same rights to name like an image to use that but the football player is going to get a lot more endorsements than even the star lacrosse women's lacrosse player right yeah and and you know and that could be a potential issue what they're probably going to try to do is say well it has nothing to do with the school so uh title line sort of controls what the school does and so because of that maybe it won't cause any issues 
Um, but then you could find out, I mean, is the school creating the same opportunities for all sports? Are they allowing access by these people um, to all the rowers and women's rowers and gymnastics and that sort of thing? It's dicey. It's something that has to at least be considered and looked at. And that's part of that underneath of the iceberg. You know, we get the tip of the iceberg. Student athletes need to be paid. They're contributing. Everybody gets that. But there's so many pieces below it that really create a complicated um, fact. Here's also one thing that should be considered is the thought is suddenly companies are going to rush to all of these players and want to pay them a bunch of money. It's really not going to happen. You're seeing less and less of it today. Less and less NFL players are getting endorsement deals. And even NBA players. I mean, you'll see, you know, LeBron James and a few players, Baker Mayfield. But you're only seeing a handful of star athletes really get these endorsement deals. You know, the the fifth or sixth seed run uh, string running back is not going to be getting any deals. You know, a lot of the... Um, a lot of the sports, there's not going to be very many deals. So they'll be allowed to do it. They'll be allowed to create their own little YouTube channel and do things like that. So I don't think it's going to be as much of a crisis as everybody's thinking. Is that I think that's really going to just be that star Alabama uh, receiver, that star um, quarterback, you know, that star running back. You could probably, I mean, my guess is it could end up being 10 to 20 basketball players, maybe 30, 40 football players nationally, a couple of baseball players. Uh, maybe a women's basketball player here or there, a real star. That's about it. And everybody else is going to be just get out of the business of the NCA regulating people's YouTube channels and small little businesses, which really don't matter anyways. And you're you're really you're kind of using your name, image, and likeness, but it doesn't matter. We've had situations where we've had backup women's soccer players, you know, that inadvertently endorse some clothing line or something on social media. We had to deem them ineligible, and it really nobody even knows who that person is. That's the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Yeah, exactly right. And we're in the letter of the law. So this is going to, I think, get out of the business of of worrying about the ticky-tack and let a few of the stars make some money. But how do we make sure that it's not being manipulated for recruiting purposes? That's going to be really, really tough to do. That's why the NCAA wanted to punt it. I heard some, some media people out there kind of blame the NCAA that they were punting it, but they didn't really want to um, – you know, really deal with the issue. They were trying to stall. I don't think the NCAA is really doing that. The, the people that are making those comments have not worked in college athletics. They don't realize how complicated this will be. And if you just green light something and everybody's starting to go gung-ho and suddenly a booster's going hog wild, giving endorsements to everybody, it's a slippery slope. And before you know it, you could end up in a situation where you have just a bunch of pro athletes in college and you might as well scrap the model. And if the NCAA model goes away, the NCAA goes away. Well, then who's going to govern college athletics? I mean, a collective bargaining agreement governs pro sports there has to be some rules the nc like the nba for example has times when you're allowed to contact free agents and things like that there has to be rules in place it can't just be a free-for-all race to the bottom otherwise you're going to have about 12 football teams they're going to dominate everybody else because they have all the money and is that really does that solve the problem that's great that a few kids can get rich but it breaks a whole model and and uh, not even rich necessarily but maybe a few hundred thousand here and there um, it's something to consider. It's something that needs thought about. I don't think it's been thought about yet. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the non-star athletes on the team with a star athlete who's getting millions and millions of dollars will treat that yeah. player, right? So, you know, your offensive linemen aren't going to get the same endorsement deals that the star quarterback's going to get, for example. Yeah. And then how does that apply? Now, in the NFL, you have the NFL, the, the linemen are making money. The quarterback is usually making more money. But the linemen are still making money. Yeah. Everybody's making a paycheck. Everybody has a house and a car right. taking care of their family. But in the NCA, you won't have that. No. You'll still have you'll still have the the you know the hardworking athletes, the 
the offensive linemen, the rowers, the swimmers, or whatever, yeah. who aren't getting any endorsement deals, and you know how what, how would that play in, in the whole in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, and I think it's 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 really messy, you know. And you're going to have and do they become employees? Are they employees of the people that are that are endorsing them? Yeah, and do then you tax the. Do you tax the endorsements? Do yeah. you tax the, what about the scholarships? The scholarships are they in, are they employees? Are they independent contractors of, of the school? I, you know, how did what what monitoring requirements are on the school to make sure these are legitimate endorsement deals versus manufactured endorsement deals for recruiting opportunities? And people say, oh, nobody cares. Everybody always says that nobody cares that the kids get paid until their school is hurt by it. Right. And suddenly there's a richer school that's taking all of their recruits and manufacturing it with money. And suddenly you say, well, that's not fair wait a minute, we're losing all these recruits because those idiots have a bunch of money. That's not fair. Well, it, yeah, it may not be fair. And so some of the NCAA rules were really there in place to make competitive balance, to keep it as fair as possible and make sure everybody is an individual. Not necessarily to screw kids. I mean, that's not really what it was about or keep them poor because it should be noted that student athletes, granted, they're not getting paid. They get stipend checks. They get free room and board. These are the ones that are on scholarship, full scholarship I'm talking about. Uh, they get cost of attendance. They get travel paid for, food, gear. Uh, it goes, I mean, tuition is paid for, you know, a laptop, books. So these are not people that have nothing. I mean, they're walking around campus with the latest swag, the latest shoes, getting eating steaks and, and pastas, and their school's taken care of. They, they, they graduate debt-free. They have full-time tutors helping them. So, yeah, they they deserve money, and I'm, I'm on board with it. But these are not – sometimes it's painted in the NCAA that – or not the NCAA, the media, that these are kids that are just fully taken advantage of and have nothing and are starving. That's actually not the case. And I've been there in a couple of different D1 schools. That's, that should be considered as well. All right. So, so we have this kind of framework that we've got California passes this law, uh, the Senate – I think it was the Senate 206 law. Senate Bill 206. Um, and then we had Florida and Ohio, yeah. other states talking about passing the same thing. So, Well, I'd actually like to interject on that. That's really, really important because if California had been the only state to do this, the NCAA simply would have said, no problem, Stanford, Cal, USC, UCLA. You're out of the NCA, or you can keep cooperating with what we're doing. And what are those schools going to do? They're going to keep cooperating. And maybe the the D2s, the D3s, some smaller D1s would have, would have went on board with it. But it wouldn't have mattered. The big schools, the big boys would have stuck with, with the, the company line. You get Ohio, New York, Florida, some of these other schools, Texas. And what ends up happening, the NCAA can't lose half their premier schools. So right. now they're going to be forced to get on board. Right. So, so then this week, that's what happened this week, yeah. right? So this week, the, La the NCAA, this is from uh, the Los Angeles Times, um, and a writer by the name of, uh, let's see here, uh, Brady McCullough wrote uh, an article about how the NCAA has now come down with a new rule. Um, they, haven't, they haven't really said what the rule is going to be yet. Yeah. But what they said was essentially that the NCAA must embrace change to provide the best possible experience for college athlete, athletes. And additional flexibility, specifically in the name likeness and image area, can and must continue to support college sports as part of higher education. So, and then they said they're going to follow the collegiate model. Yeah. So what do you think that the NCA is thinking at this point? I mean, is it, are they just, well, they didn't, they didn't articulate anything specific, right? But they no. Yeah. Obviously I, have to change. Yeah. They have to change. They know that the pressure's coming 
and it's not going to stop. You know, Congress is involved, states, state and federal laws are getting involved. There's a lot of people involved. The pressure is mounting. So the NCAA can't just sort of hold their line. Lawsuits are going to start coming up. It's going to be a huge problem. They know it. But what they're saying is, fine, we'll change. But we're going to change incrementally within the collegiate model. With that, you know, like honest endorsement deals for a select few athletes. Yeah, and they gave themselves until 2021. The the California law doesn't apply until then anyways. Yeah. So so we've got a couple of years to figure this out. But what do you think is going to happen kind of behind closed doors in the NCAA over the next two years while they start figuring this out? Yeah, they're going to get some working groups together, some smart people. They're probably going to poll some of the people in the membership as well. There's different committees of, of compliance folks and athletic directors and and coaches, and really figure out how can this actually work? What what are the requirements that are going to be? What do schools have to do to monitor? How can they make sure these are true endorsement deals and not boosters being involved? What requirements do the school have to do to make sure they're meeting the benchmarks of, of compliance and monitoring and making sure everything works? What, what are we going to allow to happen? What are we not going to allow to happen? So I think they're going to spend the next year, year and a half doing that polling, thinking, brainstorming, polling, thinking, brainstorming, and eventually come with some parameters. They're going to be vague parameters when it first comes out. It's going to be really dicey. I think the NCAA would like to try this with dipping their toe in the water. Let's start Let's start it a little bit, but it can only be national companies that have to go through compliance and, and the clients has to look at the contract, you know, something to that effect. Could they put caps on like the amount of money that a person could get as far as endorsements? I mean, because you say you can't give more than a, a bigger endorsement than $10,000 or $100,000 or whatever. Yeah. Maybe something like that. I mean, it's possible that they could do try that. I can see them more simply trying to really limit it to just major national companies. A contract is submitted to the compliance office and athletic director. Everybody signs off that, yeah, this is a legitimate deal. We vetted it with you know, Gatorade, let's say we talk to their marketing people. This is legitimate. No boosters involved. They sign an attestation that no booster from the school, the school's not involved at all. And there'll be financial penalties to them. If they found out that they were lying to us or wrong, the student athlete is educated carefully with like two or three people from compliance and the athletic director, what they can and can't do. We bring their family in. It's really, really done well, slow, thought out, methodical, educated, and then a deal is signed. And that's, I think that's, that's how it's going to have to happen. If it's just a free willy, whatever goes, goes, we're going to have major problems. Right. Right. Cause it looks like, it looks like that's exactly right. What the NCA is trying to do is they're trying to, trying to, you know, kind of evolve to the changing landscape of what is being proposed by these other states. Yeah. But at the same time, they want to keep that amateurism still. And they want to keep that the the feel of college sports. I mean, there's nothing better than college sports. Right? Nothing better than college sports. And and the thing is, it isn't pro sports. It isn't pro sports. It's collegiate. These aren't. These are students. They just are. Uh, you know, you can say you don't like college athletics, but I mean, the true probably true pure model of college athletics would be what maybe the Ivy League has, where you have just true students that are representing their school in competition and sport. That's changed with TV money. And you have big-time athletes that are just two or three years away from multimillion-dollar deals. And so the NCAA needs to modernize and understand that. And that, that makes total sense. Uh, but they have to be really, really careful. The NCAA just doesn't go away and it becomes just minor leagues. Because then the problem is, really, I bet you a lot of colleges go away from having high-profile sports. Because right. you're going to have problems with, these. are these guys employees now? 
Do we need to tax their scholarships? What, what about workers' compensation? What about all these different issues that can come up? We don't want to get involved in that mess. We'd rather just have true amateurs. We're not going to have football and basketball anymore. I really think that's what – and then it would just be a minor league. And where would the minor league be? Right. Who would fund it? So, right. Well, because they, they have that model set up for baseball, right? A yeah. lot of the best baseball players aren't going to play college ball. Right. Because they have to be in for how long if you if you go through, is it two or three years? Well, baseball doesn't have that rule. Um, like, for example, basketball's a one and done. you got to right. do one year. Football, three years. you got to be in college three years. But the thing is, it, like with baseball, some of the athletes, they want to use it as leverage, right? And so they come in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep playing. I don't know if I'm going to sign with you, but I can keep training until I get the contract I want that's right. And if they're... So yeah, that's what I mean. So that's what it's right. That's the pro- that's that's the baseball model. Yeah. So do you have these same problems uh, with kid, baseball kids trying to benefit from their name, likeness, and image because they have that out, right? They can yeah. just go and go to the minors. Yeah, know? yeah. We still have that problem a little bit. They want to blend the two worlds. You know, it just does, but it's not as is a big big of an issue because the really elite baseball players aren't aren't collegiate. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, there's still uh, Jimmy, the baseball player, that wants to start up his own company. And he's a baseball player, and he can't do it. And I think the NCAA wants to – or really, I mean, the NCAA is okay getting rid of that rule, but it's sort of all or nothing right now. And we got to think of some proper carve-outs to make this work. Yeah, because the NFL says you go to college for three years. That's, that's in a sense, your minor – that's the minors. That's minors. That's the minors for NFL pl- – for football players. Yeah. And there isn't there isn't an alternative at this point for football players. They're just not and for basketball. You're one and done. And a lot. So there have been a few players who have gone overseas and played yeah. overseas yeah. or tried to get into the G League or whatever. Yeah. Um, that you can then go off and make money and, and profit. But how can you beat March Madness as, if you're if you're a you know an A level player, an NBA level player? Yeah. How can you beat beat playing for a big time school and then going to March Madness? That's that's the best way to get your name out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. You're playing overseas. Those are non-guaranteed contracts oftentimes anyways. You get hurt, contract void. Um, so, you know, there's there's a lot of things to consider with all of this. Um, and, and, and nothing's going to get sh- shaken out. But I think if the focus is simply athletes need to get paid, and this is unfair, I think a lot of people agree with that. But it's like, but how do we actually put this into into place? How do we make this actually work? And there isn't a lot of answers for that right now. And I know the the Congress out there, the state and local laws, they, they think, no, th- this is simple. Let's push it through. And it would create chaos and probably lead to the collegiate model failing. And and then some of these people that graduated from some of these schools, that they like watching their basketball team, their football team. It, the sports would probably eventually go away. And and uh, that would be the, the consequences. So they need to be careful. Well, it seems like from what I've seen on, you know, um, media, social media, and that kind of stuff. It seems like pretty much every athlete that's interviewed is in favor of doing something like this. Yeah, absolutely. Of, of expanding the ability for them to make money sure. off endorsements. Which, sure. It, again, like you said, that's not a bad thing. No. That, that in, the, in the purest form, that's something that should happen and probably and will happen. Absolutely. But there's got to be regulations on it so that we don't get into we – get, we stay within the amateurism model and we don't get into this – these are just, you know, professional students, essentially. Yeah, and I think that's all the NCAA really wants to do, and nobody has those answers yet. And it's, we're not going to be able to figure it out in a month. 
or two months. We need a, like a year and a half, year of a working group, professionals, getting a lot of input, revising draft after draft after draft. Then they have to get it to the membership. So the membership schools, you know, the USC's, UCLA's, Oregon's, Oregon State's can know what their expectations are. How do they educate these student athletes? What's okay? What's not okay? And that's really what we need to do to make it make sense. And so just you know, the laws are on the place, are, are put into place. And I think the schools are fine with that. And the NCAA is too. We just got to figure out how to make this actually work and make sense. So we still have a collegiate model going forward that makes some sense. Um, otherwise, if you want to get rid of the collegiate model, I, again, I think the NCAA and schools would be fine with that. The NCAA probably wouldn't because they would go away. But member schools will probably just get rid of the sports that, that are professionalized. And they'd say, fine, we're just going to have rowing and a few things, and we're just not going to deal with those issues. We still want to have sports, but we don't want to have minor leagues here in our school. Yeah, which would be really hard for the alumni who love yeah. coming back to yeah. coming games and, and love, love following, seeing their school play yeah. on TV or yeah. whatever. So that would be a big, that would be a big, that would be a big mistake, unfortunately, I think, if yeah. that ends up happening. So hopefully yeah. that doesn't happen. Yeah, hopefully not. And, and these athletes, again, yes, they're helping to contribute lots of money to the school. One thing I should note, most schools actually lose hemorrhage money, actually, in college athletics. Right. Hemorrhage money. That's that's a misperception. Right? Yeah. Most people think, yeah. you know, the, the, the uh, greater five schools are just making money hand over fist, mm-hmm. just like the power five schools. Yeah. That's not the case. No, it can take a, it can cost a hundred to $200,000 to take one football trip for a school. I mean, you're spending millions of dollars on travel alone. Then you have coaches and players and, and, and gear. You're spending millions on gear and so many different things in food and feeding and hotels. It, they hemorrhage money. The only ones that really make money are football and on a couple of schools, Duke, and a few places, basketball might break even or make a little bit of money. Otherwise, they're funding all of the other programs. These are so it isn't a situation where the schools are getting rich on the back of student athletes. Right. Most of the time, it's it's basically just keeping it afloat uh, and thankful for the football money and the TV money. And then the NCA makes a lot of money, but they also spend a lot of money as well. They spend a lot of money on lawsuits, actually, and travel and hosting events and education and that sort of thing, too. So it isn't this isn't just a get rich scheme, which it can seem like on the outside. It's a little different than that. Okay. Well, so this is obviously something that we're going to be talking about a lot over the next uh, couple of months, probably next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, And like you said, Aaron, this is something that is going to be figured out over years and and then implemented. so I guess typically right now we would try to do some kind of an interview or something like that. We haven't did that, didn't do that today for our first show. Yeah. But um, so I guess we could just kind of end with uh, predictions for this weekend. I know your USC Trojans have got a big game against the Ducks. What yeah. Do gonna happen? Yeah, they do. So USC is at home against Oregon, five o'clock on Saturday. Um, it's going to be tough. Oregon's playing pretty well. They have a great offensive line, a senior quarterback. They're well coached. And it's kind of lined up for them to do pretty well. Their only loss is Auburn, a neutral site game, which was essentially a home game for Auburn, and they should have won the game. So Oregon is really, really tough. You know, I I would be surprised if they have more than one loss in them the whole rest of the season. I think they're going to be in the Pac-12 championship. I think they end up in the Rose Bowl. I don't think they're going to end up in the playoffs, um, but they're probably going to be in the Rose Bowl. USC uh, is a good team, a streaky team. They're very up and down. Uh, they're inconsistent. They have a true freshman quarterback. 
They had a true freshman quarterback last year. So two years in a row of a true freshman quarterback has not led to a great record, really. And so on the road, it's tough. At home, I give USC a fighting chance. They play really well at home. Clay always gets them up at home. I think it's a good game, a close game. I think the Ducks pull away in the fourth quarter. Um, but I do think that it's it's really close uh, through three and maybe the Ducks by seven or ten. All right. What do you think about BYU-Utah State? Oh, big game, big game, fighting for the old wagon wheel. Yeah. Uh, This is a game that Utah State's won the last two years. Yeah. Uh, BYU is a little dinged up. We've got our starting quarterback still with a broken hand. He's still out, Uh, Zach Wilson. Uh, And so it'll be interesting to see who they start at quarterback, and it'll be interesting to see there's two options, Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney. Both those guys are total studs. We'll see how they do. Utah State's had kind of an up-and-down year. They've had some good wins. They've had some bad losses. Um, you know, I'll see what we'll see what happens. But I think BYU stays close, but then pulls away in the fourth quarter and wins it. Okay, you're pulling for your alma mater, BYU. Absolutely. I'm ruling against USC, but in a close, hard-fought battle. And we'll see how it plays out uh, next week. And we'll go from there. All right, this has been fun. Yeah. This is episode number one. So we'll see, uh, we'll see you again next week when we talk about uh, – Whatever happens next week, right? Yeah, there's always something that happens in NCAA sports, and we're going to have the breaking news for you weekly. All right. All right, take care.